Uh, well, Advent is a time of um, celebrating the birth of Jesus. Or it's not that we celebrate the fact that he's going to be born. We celebrate the fact that he has been born and, th- and that, oh, yeah, thanks for that, Paul. He's already a stagehand, everybody. Um, uh, the Christmas itself, I mean, especially the way that it's marketed, it is happy and exciting. But of course, for many people, Christmas isn't, doesn't always feel happy or exciting. It can be dark. It can be depressing. I mean, in the past year and a half, the past two years, uh, there is a lot to look back at and be de- depressed about, generally. The state of our world isn't always great, is it? So t- sometimes when I think of how lost that we all are, like we as human, like the human race is, um, how we use up this world, how we get used up by this world, the stories of how people are evil to other people, the stories of darkness that I know each one of you carry with you as you've come into this building today, it can be overwhelming. And if we took a minute or two to think about the darkness of this world, or even just like two minutes to like kind of really dwell on that, that would probably be overwhelming, and you may rightfully so, because that's reality. And when we're in it, we're easily overwhelmed. We are so easily defeated by what might be really small things in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't take much to have us give in or to give up. So say what you will about the Christian faith. It is, if anything, realistic about our own shortcomings. Not only in how we treat other people, but our shortcomings to deal with big issues and problems in life. We are taught that we are unable to deal with the darkness of this world by ourselves. And I think probably, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all felt that. We probably really didn't need to be taught that because we all feel it, but also we've been taught it. But in this darkness that we all know in horribly intimate ways, Jesus steps in. And what John will be teaching us over these next four weeks, we're looking at this section, it's called the, like the, the prologue here to John's gospel, these, these first 18 verses. What we're going to learn about um, is all about Jesus. John wants us to know about Jesus. Uh, also, he, actually, he writes in chapter 20 the reason why he's writing his gospel. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, these are written, this is John who's writing, these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King, that he's the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So it's really helpful when an author says, this is why I'm writing the book. So that's the reason why he's writing this, this is the beginning of it, so that we would believe that Jesus is the King, that Jesus is God's Son, and that believing in him we have life in his name. This is true for all of us, for those who follow Jesus and those who don't. uh, We can all grow in our faith. We can all believe more. None of us believes perfectly. None of us is there yet. Uh, We're all kind of on this, our own separate kind of unique paths. Uh, Some might be coming from a place of faith in Jesus, and that looks different to to believe more than someone who might be coming from a place of just kind of investigating the faith, and that looks different as to what it means for that person to believe more, but none of us are there yet, and John wants us to get to the next step, whatever that might be. What we're going to learn today is that by ourselves, we are easily defeated in the darkness of this world, but because Jesus has defeated the darkness, through him, we will never be defeated. If that's going to be our trust, if he's going to be where we get to place our belief. So that's, that's the, the big idea. We're going to look at um, a few things of, of how John describes Jesus here as the word, as the light, and as the life. But first, let's start with those first three verses that Jesus never defeated, first as the word. So John is teaching us to learn more about Jesus who it, uh, so that we would trust in him. And the very first word, the very first even metaphor, description that John could use in his big massive biography of Jesus is the word. That's really interesting. He could have done anything. Why did he pick that? 
in the beginning was the word. And when John says beginning, he means like the beginning, beginning, like before anything was made, beginning. Like a beginning that when you think about it, you're like, how in the world does that work? I don't know, like, it's like my head can't think of that. Jesus embodies all that God says because Jesus is the message. He talked about the message, but also in his person, he is the message. We call the Bible the word, and in the Bible, there's a lot to be said about Jesus. But Jesus makes all of that, all of these words personal in a person. He is the word. The message of God himself is himself. It's Jesus. And again, when you stop and think about it, that's a very kind of strange first choice to use. Like, why, why would John use that word first? Why, why is he describing Jesus this way first? We'll talk about that in a bit. But what we read about this word is that the word was with God, so alongside with God, and, uh, and then it says the word was God. The, 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 uh, that's how John talks about God the Father. So Jesus the Son is with God the Father, was with him, and before anything and before everything. So there's God the Father, and then also the word was, uh, was God as well. So God the Father and God, the Word, the Father, and the Son, they're together at the beginning. This is one of many, 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 many times in the Bible, by the way, where it says that Jesus is called God. Uh, so don't be confused if someone's like, oh, well, Jesus never really called himself God. He did loads of times, and all the people who wrote about him did loads of times. John Piper um, has this to say about Jesus being called the Word. I'm going to quote an entire paragraph, so I'm sorry if it kind of drones on a bit, but it's just, it's really good. So this is uh, one reason why Jesus is called the word, according to John Piper. John calls Jesus the word because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God and the person of Jesus as the truth of God in such a unified way that Jesus himself in his coming, his working, his teaching, his dying and his rising, that Jesus himself was the final and decisive message of God. Or to put it more simply, and maybe this is the part I should have quoted from, because I put it more simply. What God had to say to us was not only or mainly what Jesus said, but who Jesus was and what he did. All his words clarified his work. But his self and his work were the main truth that God was revealing. And Jesus himself says this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the truth. That's a claim of, of deity. So if Jesus is the word, that means other things are not the word, because Jesus is the word. It's not like Jesus is one word among many, and some of them are cool, some of them are not. Jesus is the word. Most notably, we are not. We want the final say of things. We want to have the last word. We want to be decisive in our own way. We really, we want to be the word, but we're not. Jesus is the word. One reason John is telling us to trust uh, in the word that means uh, what he's meaning to do is for us to relent and to give up ourselves wanting to be this word, ourselves wanting to be the final word. To surrender to the word means to surrender to his love and to have his say over our lives. And then uh, we get into verse two. This is like cosmic stuff we're gonna get into. Verse two says, he who was the word was with God in the beginning. And uh, the beginning is the beginning before anything was made, because later on it talks about how uh, through Jesus, like there was nothing that we see has been made who, unless it's been through Jesus. And how is that possible unless the word is eternal? If the word is there before like time itself even exists, that means the word is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He wasn't created, he's always been. As long as God has been, 
So Jesus, because Jesus is God. He's not someone who existed for 32 years on this earth and then kind of left the scene. He's always been and always will be. And the reason this is really good news is because Jesus, the person we can trust in, is never going away. That word that we're supposed to surrender to is never going away. He's always here and always will be. He's not like um, playing the stock market with its ups and downs and some companies go bust and stay or, or some companies stay for a long time. Some companies get acquired, others go out of business. He's always here, always with us, and always will be. He's not bound by time in the way that we created beings are. And when I hear eternity, I often think first, my, my head first goes to the idea of something like huge and massive and something big that I can't comprehend. And, that, and that's true, but it's also on the other side of something Infinitesimus, infinitesimus, wait, infinitely small. I should have figured this out before I was going to say it. Uh, that if God is eternal, he can spend an eternal amount of time on any single moment in your life. God is not bound by, ah, oh, I wish there were more hours in the day. Ah, oh, only seven days a week. Ah, oh, I wish there were more time. Jesus has never said, I wish there was more time. He's never needed that. He always takes all the time that he needs to do whatever he wants to do in your life. There's no rushing. Jesus has never hurried. Even when he was in a body temporal on this earth as a human, like born as a baby, he, even then he was never hurried. He was never rushing. Jesus always has the time that he needs to do the thing that he wants. And one thing that we find uh, of the things that he wants is that he is creative. In verse 3, it says, Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Through everything that we see, everything that's been created has all come through Jesus. He's the ultimate creative person, the ultimate artist, really. Anyone who perceives any level of artistry within themselves, what we get is a reflection of the artist, a small, like, small, tiny reflection of the artist. Through him, all things were made. Through Jesus, everything. And in case you were wondering, well, what about Jesus? Was he created? Well, read the rest of verse 3. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So, after Jesus, everything. Before Jesus, nothing. He was not created, unlike what maybe some other philosophies or religions might say, contrary to what Jehovah Witnesses might say about Jesus or what um, people who follow the uh, Muslim faith might say about Jesus. That's just not how the Bible, that's not what we believe. All that we see, all the sunsets that we see. You know, you think we would be over sunsets as humans, We've had them forever, and as long as you've been alive, you've had them forever, and yet there's still photos of sunsets on Instagram. It still blows our mind, and that's just one like super small mini thing that God's created through Jesus. The glory of nature, the, the complexities of our bodies, like um, to hear Paul talk about like the complexities in a cell, and he talks about it's like a whole like city organism thing. It is. It's amazing stuff. All of this comes from Jesus. In Genesis 1, God speaks and the universe is created. God uses words, and through the word, all things now exist. Now, the arts in general used to be a big thing for the church. Uh, when the church had loads of money, they'd give it to artists to create amazing works. And over time, the church had less money, and artists ended up working for other clients. Uh, and and if, through time, both sides kind of began, began to grow suspicious of each other. See, the church didn't like the questions that artists had, and the artists didn't want to hear the answers that the church had. And so, like, you, I couldn't think of maybe two institutions that are farther apart than the institution of the arts and the institution of the church. And that's really sad. I wish it wasn't that way. That's a travesty, because the church still is afraid of questions that artists are going to ask, and artists still generally aren't very interested in what the church has to say. 
I envision a place where the church could help art grow artists as people first, where the church wouldn't shy away from difficult questions and topics, and where the church could, again, help artists in their work. And maybe if the church would listen to what people are saying, then the church might have something worth saying, instead of saying what we think people ought to know. This is one of the reasons why I think the Charlton Arts Festival is a brilliant thing. And I think for us here in Charlton, that's a really small step, a good step, but a small step on, in ways that we can uh, see these two worlds collide, the way that really, how they collide in Jesus. Now, I think these first three verses is kind of like uh, uh, Jesus being a key. The other day, um, I took my bike out and I had my lock and I had my chain uh, and I had my bike, but I didn't have the key. So I had all the stuff. But not having this small little thing, it didn't matter if I had all this stuff. Like, my bike would get nicked, and who knows, like, you know, why would lock something up with, with, if you can't lock it? You can have all the parts, but without the key, those parts are useless. They don't do any good in themselves. So the key to understanding the Bible, the key to understanding our lives, the key to understand like, how to interact with this world is Jesus. He is the key. And without him, the other parts are nice, and they might be helpful here and there, but they just don't fit together, and they really are not going to do us any good in the end. Now, in, in all of this, how does the eternal, creative word overcome? What does that have to do with like, Jesus never being defeated? And, and like, why, is, why does that matter? Like, is this just kind of cool stuff to think about that theologians can write books about? Or like, does it actually matter for us like, tomorrow, two in the afternoon? Like, what's the deal? Well, we, in, in these verses, we've been given, um, uh, we've heard these things about Jesus. He's the message. We've heard that he's eternal. We've heard that he's creative. And maybe the thing that Jesus overcomes very first in these three verses is us. Like, we aren't the word. We aren't eternal. We're not creative in the same way that Jesus is creative. We didn't exist before everything. We aren't the center of the world. And before we think our own expressions, be it art or life or business or family, whatever, thing, whatever, whatever it might be, whatever, before we think much of those things, Really, what we have to realize is none of that actually comes from us. Anything good that could possibly come from us there is a reflection of the Creator's work in our lives. So Jesus, the Word, stands in opposition to anyone or anything that might see themselves as such. And that includes all of us, because we all think we're the Word sometimes. We all think we're awesome, we're the boss, but really... We're not. This is really good news because what Jesus does first before he saves us from anything else, he saves us from us. And I need that. I know you guys need that too. We desperately need to be saved from ourselves and that is exactly what the word does. It's what he does. He's not there to destroy us. He's there to save us. Who are we to go up against Jesus? He's the one who's never defeated and he uses that victory not to pin us down but to build us up. Being eternally creative, always at work in us, and through us. He's created us, and he's now recreating us. So that's Jesus, the word. The next thing that, um, that John talks about is Jesus, the life, in verse four. In him, in the word, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In Jesus is life. So what does that word um, life refer to? Because this is more than saying like Jesus existed, or that Jesus breathed, or that Jesus' heart pumps, you know, in regular patterns. What does it mean? Um, because what we find out, actually, this life is the light of all mankind. It's more than just existing. It's something more than that. And John is going to quote Jesus later on. And so the way Jesus describes this, in, in John 11, he says this. Uh, speaking to a woman, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus saying this about himself, I am those things. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asked this woman, do you believe this? The life that Jesus is talking about here is something more than mere existence. He's talking to someone who's already alive and, and breathing. It's a new life. It's resurrection uh, is a new life that comes after death. And believing in Jesus, trusting in him, will allow us to live even though we will die. In fact, those who believe in Jesus will, in a different sense, never die. There's another place in uh, John 14 where Jesus uh, is speaking to a group of people and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is talking about his unique position. No one else spoke like him, which is why they wanted to kill him. Nobody else who has ever existed can actually say this. If you know Jesus, you know God. None of us can say that. If you know Greg, you know God. Like, nope, you know, no, you don't. <laughs> if you know Jesus, you know God. In fact, you can't come to the God the Father except through Jesus. It's not like there are other kind of possible pathways. He's the only way. This is how Jesus is describing himself. And he also says he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. Now, I think we all know the difference between living and truly living. We can merely exist and just kind of move on. Or we can, there's something like getting more out of life, getting a fulfillment, getting a satisfaction. Between mere existence and getting all that we can out of this world. You can meet someone and say, man, they were just full of life. You know those kinds of people, you hang out with them and you feel more encouraged at the end of it. They're, like, oh, they're just so full of life. You're not saying, man, their heartbeat in such a regular pattern. It is amazing that they were breathing in and out and all the time, you know, however many times a minute. Jesus is the one who has life. And when people meet him, especially in these stories in the Gospels, these people left their jobs, left their families, they left their thoughts on what they were going to do with their lives. They changed everything because they met this one who had life capital L kind of life. They just wanted to be around him. They just wanted to hear him te hear say words. They would go for a day without even eating just so they could be around him and hear him speak. John describes this life as the light of all humankind. For that to be true, it would mean that Jesus doesn't keep his life to himself. He could have and would have been completely just for him to be like, oh, I got my own life, you guys figure it out. There's something about Jesus having his life, having this life, that means good news for everyone who's a human being. That's, that's something about those two things work together. And this is really good to hear because uh, if you're like me at all, we all have a tendency to make our own life or, or want to, like manufacture, make our own way in life and try and get the own, our own things out of it. Some people work hard at their careers. It's good to work hard at your career. Like that's a good thing. That's even better if you have a job where you can be passionate and give yourself to. But you have been created for so much, a career is far too small. Even the best of careers, wherever it is, is far too small for that to really give you life. Maybe you have a family and you, have spend, time with your, and you spend time with your kids and you work hard to, for them to have good lives. You read all the parenting books, or at least maybe like 0.5% you know, of them. You organize your social life around them, which I totally understand, Colin's social life. It's banging. Our social life is basically his social life. It's good to be devoted to your family. It's bad not to, right? But your family by itself will never be enough to give you life. It just won't. And you'll try and get it, and you won't ever get it from me. Like, oh, am I doing something wrong? Like, no, you were meant for something more. 
It could be friendships or a partner. Like you love them, you serve them, you hang out with them, and they get you, and the same, vice versa. These are wonderful things to have, and they're worth pursuing. But no amount of friends, no partner, however perfect they might be, will ever be enough in themselves to give you life. Only one person can possibly be that for you. What we do is we, we try and build our lives, you know, a little bit of our job, maybe some, some friendships and a partner and the, the kids and maybe like the house and some other things that we want to buy. But there's so much more life being offered by Jesus. And really, at the end, it's either you in the grave or them in the grave. And how can you help them then? And how can they help you then? Where's that life when we need it the most? We try desperately and work like, work like hell is actually a great way to put it because that's what it's like. Work like hell for our, our, to get our own kinds of life. But Jesus gently comes alongside us and gives us something better. He's here for something much better. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they will die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And he's not just speaking to that woman there. He's speaking to all of us. Do you believe this? So Jesus never defeated is the word. Never defeated is the life. And lastly, in this last verse here, we learn that Jesus is the light. This light shines for all humanity. No background required. No nothing. I mean, the first disciples, the first, they were kind of dumb. And people were like amazed that these guys could be leaders because they were illiterate. But the reason why people realized they could be leaders is because it says in Acts, because they were with Jesus. That's the thing that set them apart. This is for everyone who comes to him. In verse 5, it says, uh, this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light goes to the darkness. The light is not shining in the light. I mean, light, of course, surely it does. That's what John's talking about here. The light shines in the darkness. That's where the light's going to. We all know there's darkness in this world. We all know there's darkness in our hearts. And the story from the beginning is that we, human beings, are responsible for bringing that darkness into this world. We brought it in boatloads. We brought it over, and we heap it on ourselves. We heap it on other people, and we will continue to do that. And sometimes I don't understand the dark parts of this world. Often I wish the dark parts of my heart weren't just there. They could just be cut out and left or at least ignored at the very best. It's easy to be overwhelmed, and it's easy to be overcome when we think about those things. But in that dark, thick fog, there is a light. There is a light. Jesus is light, and that's his life, and it's shining, even now, present tense, shining. His light is shining in the darkness. In fact, even here, it says the light shines in the darkness. You could very easily translate it because it's a present active verb. The light is shining in the darkness. No matter how dark the darkness gets, he will not be overcome. He is Jesus, never defeated. And I know from some of you how, how dark times have been for you, but even in those moments when you feel like you're the only one who feels that way, when you feel alone, when you feel forgotten, when you feel overburdened in ways that you can't control, his light is shining. Or it could be you've been through difficult times and people have come alongside with you, uh, but there's really not much other people could have done, especially when it's res with respect to grief. There's nothing really other people can do than just kind of sit with you and, and pray with you and say, I, I can maybe understand this or that. But even, and even in that, it's actually sometimes even easier to feel lonely because like these people don't even get it and they're trying to help and they still don't even get it. 
And it might not always be easy to see, and we might overlook it, but that does not change the reality that Jesus' light is shining. That's, that's what the reality is. And the darkness will be defeated. That's what reality is. Let's not construct some kind of false reality to live in. The reality is Jesus' light is shining, and the darkness will be overcome. There will never be a situation where the darkness will overcome the light of Jesus. Has there ever been a situation where you turn on a torch and it was too dark and it would overcome the light of the torch? No. All the more for the light of the world. Growing up, uh, there was a game that me and my brother used to play on the original Sega Genesis console called uh, Greatest Heavyweights. We're going back. We're going back here. Um, my brother and I played it all the time. It was so much fun. There was like the Sega Genesis had three buttons, so it wasn't very intense. Um, you were able to play as like, these famous heavyweight boxers, and create. And you could even create your own character to play through. Of course, we made our character. He was like seven foot tall, had like a you know, 12 foot reach or whatever, and he would never lose. Um, but you could play as these, as these other people, like Joe Lewis or Rocky Marciano or uh, Muhammad Ali, all these other kind of people. Of all the heavyweights you can play, only one of them in history was undefeated. Rocky Marciano, Italian background, New York, kind of typical boxer type, you would think. Probably had a nose that looked a lot like mine. Nice and flat, got, got smacked around a bit. Uh, one of the fun things you could do in this game, this is the reason why we played it all the time, if we're honest, is you could taunt the other player. You'd have, I think you have to press like all three buttons at once. I can't remember exactly how you did it. But then each player had their own little like taunt that they would use. Um, uh, Muhammad Ali was, I think, I'm so, I think he said, like, I'm so pretty, like a couple times or whatever. <laughs> And we, my brother and I did this to, to each other mercilessly. The whole point of the game was to get basically as many taunts as you could get in without getting hit. Uh, for Rocky Marciano, though, the only undefeated heavyweight boxer in history, his quote was, you ain't got no chance. He had this, like, 20s, like, uh, newspaper seller kind of guy, like, from Newsies. You ain't got no chance. And we used to do it all the time. In fact, if I called my brother up today and said that, he'd know exactly where that's from. So Rocky Marciano can be programmed to say that in a game. Uh, and you could say that, and, and, and actually he could say that in the ring in actual life, and maybe he did, maybe that's where the quote actually came from, but only Jesus can say something as audacious as that in every situation at all times. To the darkness, Jesus taunts even, and maybe in a way a voice that's maybe different than Rocky Marciano, like, the darkness has no chance. Jesus taunts the darkness. It's, it's, it's laughable to think that the darkness would have anything on Jesus. Darkness has nothing on him. Now, it's not hard to understand how a torch works in the dark, but it can be difficult to understand how does Jesus overcome our darkness? How does that work? I understand flicking a switch. Okay, that's cool. Um, but what's the deal with Jesus overcoming the darkness in my life and like the darkness of, of the world? And sometimes if we can't understand it, we might think... I don't really know how that works. Is it even true? Well, Jesus and the Father work together to bring out a plan for these verses to become true. And the answer came through on the darkest day this world has ever seen. Jesus, the one with the light, was snuffed out. He willingly gave up his life and was killed. But why? Was it just theater? Was it just a show? Jesus didn't join in on the darkness, and uh, during his life, he did all that he could to push it back. That's, that's all he did. 
And how did it end for him? He didn't deserve to die. So why did he? He died so that we who do bring darkness into this world wouldn't have to. So that we who believe in him, as Jesus said himself, would never die. Jesus willingly walked into our darkness in order for his light to continue to be shining. He did die, of course, but it didn't stay that way because it was only three days and darkness did not overcome him. And after three days, he rose again because he's the word, because he's eternal, because he's the creator, because he's the life, because he's the light, because he's God. And he didn't just rise again and walk on earth. He rose again to a place of power, now ruling over the world. The whole world is governed by Jesus himself. And what he does in that new life that now reigns over us is he gives this new life to us and wants us to be a part of him giving this new life to other people. That's an amazing thing. Jesus, never defeated, will not be overcome, and because of that, we who have this new life for him will never be overcome. Because he defeated death, we will. That's, that's reality. Because he has defeated this darkness that we feel in the present, we don't have to be defeated by it. He raises us up now, and he will raise us up on the last day. The creator of life continues to give us his life. And the eternal God who created this world is now in this new life recreating us. We might think, oh, Jesus, you're doing a really slow, poor job with it, if that's the deal. No, he's doing exactly what he needs to do in the time that he's going to take. He's not hurried. He's not rushed. And Jesus, from the position of power over all the world in Revelation 21, just as it says the light is shining in the darkness, Jesus is saying, I am making all things new. That's what he does. That's what he does. And if his light can shine in his death, his light is shining in whatever you're walking through, with whoever you're dealing with, with anything that you can think of going through, death included. Jesus is never defeated, and through him, we will never be defeated. And this is one reason why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We look back to the day where it looked like death would win, where it looked like darkness would overcome the light, where surely the disciples were like, what in the world's going on? Our leaders died and we're kind of locked up in a room by ourselves, scared. Jesus died and stayed dead. And this wafer that we're about to eat together uh, represents Jesus' dead body. And this cup represents his blood that was poured out when he died. But Jesus didn't stay that way. He did rise because he's undefeated. And now in this new life, with this new body, is shining his light out on us. So not only does this wafer represent Jesus' dead body, this wafer also represents Jesus' new body that he's in now. And this cup is a symbol of the resurrection that we look forward to, of what his blood secured for us, an undefeated record that all of us get to have. So as we eat and drink, the way we do it is we sing, and as we sing, we're going to eat and drink together. As you eat and drink, we think back to the cross of Jesus' death, and, uh, and we think of his dead body, we think his blood, blood poured out, but we don't stop there because the light is shining and Jesus is making all things new. We get to also look forward to the time uh, where we will be with him in the new heavens and earth, where him and his new body is reigning now, where this cup secured for us an undefeated record for all time. And if you trust in Jesus, we'll take this together while we sing. Um, if you don't trust in Jesus yet, uh, please don't do this thing because um, we don't want to make people do something outwardly. They don't actually believe inwardly. But if you have any questions,